You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. What the Emerald Isle lacks in serpents, it makes up for in legends. Karen and I sat down to chat with the hosts of the relatively new but quite prolific podcast, Monster Fuzz, to talk about the king of the otters and the good folk and lots of other topics. I think we were going to talk about Irish cryptids, but when you get a bunch of monster lovers together, you never know where the conversation might take you. We've got a lot of fun concepts to discuss from Ireland and around the world, so let's get Kraken. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Today we're joined by Eamon O'Neill and Rob Billington of the Monster Fuzz podcast for a wide-ranging chat about folklore, fairies, fauna, and more. Be sure to check the show notes because we touched on a lot of topics, and I've added links in the show notes for the curious who wish to dig deeper. But for now, let's just get right into the Monster Talk. And you are Eamon and Rob. So that's Eamon O'Neill and Rob Billington, right? And you are from the Monster Fuzz podcast. Can you tell us about that and how'd you start it and why'd you start it and when'd you start it and what's it about? Yeah, sure. So we are actually all on our year anniversary now, but it's it's about cryptozoology. It's about monsters, much the same as you guys. So we talk about 
monsters, folklore, everything surrounding it. And I think, Eamon, why did we start it really? I don't know, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it was kind of the start of lockdown and we just kind of said, hey, do you want to do this thing for fun? And I mean, we sort of, our friendship bonded out of a mutual respect for the Chupacabra. So it sort of <laughs> had a throwback to that. So is your show kind of the lockdown mess monster? Certainly not I'm the lockdown the ends monster. He's, yeah. not, he's not showing up. But that's kind of it. It blossomed, yeah. So mm. that, that's kind of where it went. And you guys know yourself. You have done podcasts for a long time. It sort of evolves as you keep creating content. So it might branch off in different ways. You might see, oh, let's do a bit of folklore. We didn't really intend on doing folklore when we started, but it sort of just came organically as we did more episodes. And obviously you find the ties between cryptozoology and folklore and, and all that type of stuff. And so that's kind of how it's evolved so far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was just going to say what it like the first episode was kind of, you know, we're talking about Michele and Bembe and we're kind of, we didn't really know what we were doing. And as it's progressed, it's kind of just turned into a weird, absurdist comedy podcast with monsters, mm. you know, so mm. it's a very bizarre product at the moment. Where, <laughs> like there's songs and there's poem. It's just it's it's a very strange kind of the joke sort of sometimes you get 15 minutes of a monster and the rest of it is us talking absolute muck to each other. <laughs> Sounds like us too. <laughs> well, we do. Yeah. The, you, um, one of you sings? Eamon sings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's bold. I mean, you're good, but I mean, it's like, it's you get to like put it out there, you know? It's that's like, the way to do it, man. You just oh. shock people. There's enough, as you know, there's so many podcasts out there where, like, I didn't realize until I became part of the community. And I'm like, wow, there is literally so many just cryptozoology podcasts. So I think we have to kind of break the mold a little bit, I suppose, you know? Well, I hope this doesn't encourage uh, Blake to start singing. It will not. It will not. <laughs> you should do it, man. It's so freeing just to be able to start singing about the Wendigo halfway through a podcast. You're like, yeah. In fact, yeah, a new podcast is all singing about monsters i'm gonna call it scary okey yeah monster, <laughs> monster talk the musical would be great <laughs> i guess it depends on how much he's had to drink uh, no no it i really will not sing i sing at home alone you know and i since we've had a lockdown i haven't really been alone so i haven't yeah. been singing <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh well i would agree with you guys that uh, certainly a lot of uh, podcasts and blogs have come out during the pandemic and there are a lot to choose from so we really do appreciate our listeners, the listeners that we've had for the past 10 years. But you mentioned the Chupacabra, and I'm just wondering if there's an Irish equivalent. Yeah, well, of the Chupacabra, no. But, I mean, if you're talking about size and um, overall kind of wiliness, I suppose you talk about the Doraku a little bit. Yeah. You know, Have you heard of the Doraku, you guys? Have you done an episode on them yet? We haven't. I was called a dork in high school. Is it? The same? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's it's like a dork except a little bit smaller. Um, and he's what's known as I suppose the king otter, which it can vary in size from maybe the size of a dog, and then all the way down to the size of just a regular otter. But this guy has been cited. It's probably one of the main Irish cryptids, Eamon, Right? Yeah, over here we we have more sort of fairies and stuff like that. So when it actually comes to animals. We don't have a whole lot of them, you know? So I think, yeah, I think, Rob, you're probably bang on on that. Thanks a lot, St. Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, we used to have all these cool snakes, giant pythons, gone, gone, along with our sins, thankfully. But yeah, the Dorku, I think, is probably the, the ultimate uh, in Irish cryptids. 
I was thinking about this, you know, when we knew we were coming on, I was kind of trying to put together in my head why there's such an abundance of cryptids in, say, America, Africa, all the all the big continents and a lack in Ireland. And I think part of it is because we don't have really very many forests and things like that. And what yeah. we've discovered over time with doing episodes is at least how we interpret these things is that a lot of them are sort of tales to keep people out of the forest. You know, you'll hear of like yeah. Michele Membe or, or Emila and Tuca in the Congo. And it sounds like these are pygmy tribes and stuff. And they're trying to tell people or maybe they're young children. Stay out of the forest. There's unknown in there. There's danger in there. You don't know what's out there. And I think in Ireland, we have very much like a lack of trees and things like that. And I I don't think people realize that, but I think Ireland is the least densely populated area of trees in the whole of Europe. And so when I started to figure this out and I was kind of like, okay, so we haven't had wolves for hundreds of years. We haven't had, Mm. we don't have anything bigger than say a deer. You kind of start to think, right, okay, maybe it's too small of an island for plausible explanations, or at least you could say it's the same as Bigfoot. Like, we kind of have a Bigfoot here, Eamon. Did you hear that Gruagach guy? Yeah, I've heard the Gruagach. Gruagach is the Irish word for hair, so it's I suppose it means, like, hairy. Because Gach doesn't mean man. Och is butt. So right. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out in my own head. Gruagach, like, butt hair. Wait, did you say boat? No, sorry, but uh, like, yeah. like accept. So if you were to say in Irish, you would be uh, oct. It would be saying if you were said like, I went down to the shop, but they didn't have what I want. Mm. You know, Tommy and Sinshopa, ach, Nilane, Milshoin, which means I went to the shop and there was no, there was no sweets. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a bit of it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, in Australia we've got the Yowie, and here mm, yeah. we've variations of. Of Bigfoot, so so the the Irish version is it uh, similar or is it different uh, in well, any ways? Yeah, the the Yowie, we've actually done an episode about that guy, yeah, and he pretty much sounds like Bigfoot essentially, right? Yeah. Except with yeah. the sharper teeth, and and there's a few other little differences. Very similar, yeah. yeah. And I think with us and and our Gruigaki seems more like a wild man, more so mm. like just a case of. He's the other, you know, that, or at least that's yeah. what they say. And there's been, there has been sightings of him in Ireland. It's like, it's such a small country. Like we're very small. I think we're about the size of like Idaho or somewhere. I'm trying to f- figure out what, what we're actually <laughs> yeah. the size of. So yeah, I think, I think that's it, Emma. Do you have anything mm. on that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that part, the sort of cautionary tales. Our cautionary tales are more, um, they'd be more spectral, more ghostly, supernatural, if you like. And I think the main reason for that, sort of as Rob's alluded to, is that we don't have dangerous animals here. So we'd never really had to beware of going into the wilderness, if that makes sense, because there wasn't really anything there that could hurt us. Um, Mm. Maybe the Irish elk might have been the most dangerous, but that's, again, wouldn't have been a predatory kind of an animal. And they're all extinct now. So I think that's the main reason that we don't have many kind of animal cryptids. But what we do have is we have a lot of superstition. We have a lot of even demonic entities. So, for example... We had something called the Fomorians or the Fovery, which are like these giant demons that lived in the ground and they were part of the underworld, which had all these Celtic sort of heaven and hell connotations almost. And funnily enough, I don't know if you've ever watched pro wrestling, but the wrestler, the Irish wrestler, Fionn Balor, that's kind of a a combination. Fionn McCool was one of our sort of heroes, a folkloric hero, and Balor 
he was the leader of the Fomorians, who were these malevolent supernatural beings. So he used to paint himself in, in this kind of crazy, it's like a giant eye that wreaks destruction, like Sauron-esque. But we have loads of that sort of stuff. But we don't really have a lot of, you know, sort of meat and bones cryptids, if you like. But you've got and, otters the size of dogs. Okay, got, <laughs> yeah, we've we, just one otter. It's one we've otter. Got the, just just one, just one. And actually, to correct myself there, and for the American listeners, I'm sure, which uh, you ha- you guys have many, it's Ireland is actually the size of the state of Indiana. So it's about the same okay. size. And it has roughly the same population size. So we have about 5.5 million people here on yeah. the island. And Indiana, I believe, has six million. So that'll kind of show you. But the Doraku, it's kind of a hard to pronounce word. You look at it and you're like, we did an episode. It was one of our first episodes. And even I wasn't sure how to pronounce the name Doraku. I was like, how how do you say this? But yeah, the dog otter, you know, one of the main sightings is, I think, a guy who took a bag of mushrooms and seen it, to be quite honest. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he's one of them. We have giant worms. We have a lot of stuff here. Yeah. So they, they call it the king of all otters. But would you indulge me and say otter father? Wouldn't that be like otter fodder? There's a lot of, about him as well, where there's like a gravestone that yeah. actually has written on it about mm-hmm. these people were killed by the Doraku. So <laughs> this this is it's probably one of the only cases in cryptozoology ever hmm. where you will actually see something that's been carved out in stone a few hundred years ago that actually yeah. says a, a, a cryptid was directly responsible for this killing. So that's kind of fascinating. That's that's an interesting angle, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, it's, and that's like 17th century stuff there as well. And we were kind of surmising. I was kind of like, do you think that he like just really didn't like his wife? And maybe there's some sort of true crime angle. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Right, right. He's angrily pursuing a giant otter to find whoever killed his wife. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very fishy as well, the troll. Yeah. yeah, very suspicious. It's like, yeah, the, the otter hated her. You know, he especially hated her cooking and the way she didn't listen. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Utterly <laughs> unbelievable. I get in on these puns. Uh, so you were saying that there are sightings of this creature today? Yeah, so the most modern one, I actually kind of have it here from our old notes that we did on the Dorku, but okay. in, in the year 2000, actually, it was an Irish artist called Sean Corcoran and him and his wife, they basically were in a lake on Omi Island, which is in Connemara in Galway. You guys might have heard of Galway and the Galway girl and all that type of stuff. Magical area, which is why the Doraku hangs out there, you know. And they so, have good, uh, good port as well. Galway that's right, pipe. yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he describes it as a large, dark animal with orange flippers, is what he was saying. And he said it swam around the lake and it was there for a few seconds and it let out this most haunting screech. So the thing about... I suppose the otter is that it's actually, you know, we have them on on our island, but they're not an abundant creature. I've never actually seen one myself in person. I've seen seals and things like that. But um, yeah, no, never otters. And selkies would be another one. I don't know if you guys have covered selkies yet in any of your episodes. We've never done a dedicated episode, but yeah, they're very interesting. And those are women who turn into seals or seals who turn into women. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a lot of different. And again, another one when we were doing notes is like, we're finding all these different cryptids that even based around the coast of Ireland, Scotland, Wales, all the all the sort of the Gaelic areas, 
they all have like many different versions of the of these things and, and and it's fascinating to try and figure out like why yeah yeah absolutely i think for me one of the big things that i noticed the more we started doing the show was you start to see it's quite like religion i suppose in that you start to see very similar trends across different cultures it's like the archetype mm-hmm. the soul of the archetype it remains the same no matter where you go but it has this like little defining characteristics like when we're talking about say fairies in Ireland and the changeling we did a little a piece on that in one of our episodes before and it actually linked in with wendigo psychosis which mm-hmm. was a part of you know the wendigo and and the when someone sort of consumes human flesh and they turn into this unspeakable entity or whatever but you start to see while that the it's not like a cut and dried and pasted but it's it's becomes very similar and you can see the people are trying to say there's some sort of transgressive stuff that I feel a lot of these stories are trying to lead people away from, you know, because you can understand the need for cannibalism in these freezing cold areas with no food and people dying and and it's just trying to keep your humanity. So a lot of these stories, I think, have that trend in them. And even the Bigfoot stuff as well. We talked about the sort of Gruigar. There's a, an English Bigfoot as well, but they they seem much less animalistic compared to the North American Bigfoot. And so you do get some sort of strange stuff where ours almost seems like it's slightly more civilized, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's it's a weird, or it doesn't seem as animalistic. And then weirdly, I heard somewhere before that earlier in the um, sort of early 1900s to maybe late 1800s, the Bigfoot was actually described as more of a wild man. So he still had more humanity. So maybe it was like back then, you know, you could actually live in the wild or certain people did live in the wild and it was kind of saying, no, no, we're trying to get away from that. So, and now it's just taken on its own sort of maybe meaning or, or I don't know, it's, it's very interesting to look at that stuff and try to tease out what was the the underlying message that they were trying to get across. That's interesting because my research has been around how Native American tribes had wild men, which were like more feral, like just they're not behaving in the way that this tribe behaves. Those are the other tribe, the tribe that lives in the wild, right? And when Bigfoot lore really erupted in the 1950s, it wasn't long before people started trying to, I mean, really, really wasn't long before people tried to equate these giant hoax footprints with a giant creature. And then they went straight to the lore of the natives around giant tribes people and turned it into a hairy monster is the way I would see it. It seems like that idea that there's a a relic hominid, it's a real colonial thing about taking, we need to have a natural explanation for this species, not let's acknowledge that people have folklore about wild people who aren't like us, right? You know? Yeah. 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 Ogopogo as well. It was Ogopogo, even the name was just some English rhyme that the settlers put on this water creature that the First Nations people had revered for years. And basically it was a spirit. And now they're trying to sort of tell people, no, Ogopogo is not this like, you know, McDonald's monster that you get in a Happy Meal. (laughs) But it's actually like a spiritual belief that we have. It's not so much a physical thing. And as well back then, you know, we've we've toyed with the idea as well in the past. But, you know, you have these water spout type of things that come from the lakes and you see all this crazy stuff back then. And you didn't really have, I suppose, an easy explanation for these things. And even I'm sure the First Nations tribes were the same when, I mean, even lightning and thunder, if you didn't have, I suppose, a scientific explanation and, oh, well, this is why it's to do with atmospheric pressure and blah, blah, blah. 
if you don't have that, I suppose you could really say that it's anything and it would be almost believable, you know? I mean, if I didn't have my science book and someone said, oh, that's a god, he's firing down lightning from his fingers, I'd be like, yeah, you're probably right, actually, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Pogo Pogo too just reminds me a little bit of the colonization of Australia when the British mm. first encountered the kangaroo and there was some conversations between them and the indigenous people and they thought mm. that kangaroo was the name for a kangaroo, which it actually isn't. It was, uh, I can't remember the, the complete mm. story, but it's interesting when you have that kind of uh, linguistic intervention there. Mm. It's the very same in Australia. We've looked into that a little bit too and it does, it comes across all that time and I think maybe as well, there was uh, in Ireland, there was probably a lack of that because Ireland and England uh, were sort of whether we want to be or not, we are intertwined and, and we have a lot of um, mm. culture that sort of blends in and bleeds into each other. Mm-hmm. And perhaps there was less of that sort of colonists going to an area, finding these First Nations people, these Aboriginal people, and they already had this rich culture or ways to explain things. And so then... Mm. The English at the time would have been trying to put their explanations onto what they're saying or make sense of it in their head, I suppose. Mm, yeah. And yeah. I think in Ireland, that probably didn't happen as much just because we were so closely intertwined and we were, there was a lot of Celts in both areas and mm. we shared languages and things like that. So maybe there wasn't as much as you would see in America and as you would see in Australia, for example, you know. It's a strange thing because I'm sort of reminded of an old story I heard back in my days as a history undergrad. But initially, the British would have called Ireland Hibernia. I think we have like some insurance company called Hibernia now. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks, lads. Our insurance going through the roof. But a story that someone said was that as they were kind of coming into Ireland originally, like Ireland would have just been briars and bushes and there was no infrastructure there was no sort of even early urbanization or anything like that it was just like mud huts and things like that cranogs actually were the names of the huts we used to build so they're like kind of these straw sort of uh, structures but he actually i think they were trying to talk to a native like a wild irishman and they were sort of saying where is hibernia sort of assuming that like we didn't have a name for our own country you know right, like, yeah. well we live down here in the south and we bait the lads over you know 10 miles that way and that's just what we do we you know we don't have names for the, the country and um, so even all those things were brought to us if you like so yeah. and obviously going from hibernia to ireland and, and and so on so yeah very interesting how that was brought there and just one thing on the kangaroo as well i mean if that's not like evidence that there must be some sort of cryptid out there because that thing's mental looking like it has it has the upper body of terry cruz and a tail <laughs> and giant feet like and it's sort of a deer's head like it's mental i think people say the same thing about the platypus too they're very mm. unique creatures mm, yeah. um, and certainly we've had uh, the, the opposite thing in uh, australia where a lot of places had indigenous place names and the English came in and changed them completely. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's the same here. As yeah. a matter of fact, I do believe that some countries have actually changed the names of streets back to what they would be. In Ireland, actually, right. it's kind of funny. Almost every street here is named after some type of Irish revolutionary who would have been anti-English, mm. which is kind of weird. Like, yeah. So they yeah. do have, there is a movement to try and take that stuff back, I guess is what you could say. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I think that that's probably a little bit why we don't have as many of the grandiose cryptids mm. is probably because colonists at the time didn't really have to 
try and explain things that people had already had this like i mean the native americans and the aboriginal people have this wealth of lore like the aboriginal people in australia i believe have epics almost like the iliad and stuff like that that they have with their superstitions and beliefs and their gods and all that type of stuff much the same as the irish do got their yeah. dream time uh, origin stories That's right, and, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the way that they pass them on is very interesting too using memory devices and things like that and just to go back to what you were saying earlier where there's a movement to reintroduce those names place aboriginal place names back in australia but there's a bit of pushback too with people arguing oh why are you trying to change history well, well yeah, <laughs> was change, I mean... changing history to go in and, and change those names in the first place yeah <laughs> well yeah it's like europeans have been in australia for how long a few hundred years 200 years. and then the aboriginal people have been there for what thirteen thousand. <laughs> It's a, they've been there a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> it's some crazy amount of time. It's crazy. A quick but staggering correction. The minimum amount of time that humans have lived in Australia is 48,000 years. And there is some evidence to suggest it might be as much as 20,000 years more than that. It is a staggeringly old culture. My mind is fully blown. Yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 they're like the Four, longest 45,000 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're the longest unaltered population on earth, I believe. I mean, in that they had no outside influence whatsoever for the longest amount of time and they just existed there. Well, I was thinking about Ireland. You you mentioned you have sort of a hairy man tradition. I it reminds me of have you guys talked about the Woodwoes? That's perhaps? who it was. I was trying to remember this name when we recorded on Thursday and I was like, it begins with a W. It sounds like wormwood. <laughs> and I just like I was trying to Google it and I just I like, got nowhere. But yeah, I I, I read um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was so close. Like autocorrect nearly could have got me there. But it's funny, yeah, because with the Woodrows, there's actually um I believe there's some old castles and structures that have images of them on the, the castles or tried to depict them. But yeah, I, that's what I was talking about when I said the kind of slightly more civilized hairy man. Yeah, you're right, though. It is kind of a civilized hairy man. He looks a little bit Gandalf in the face, but the rest of his body's covered in hair. And then um, they have the green man, which is sort of the like very, very planty kind of nature personified in the form of man creature. But I think Woodwose is also the basis of the the last name Woodhouse, like PJ Woodhouse. Ah. I think it's a tied to that somehow. Really? Yeah. Oh, I have to look into that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like even my surname, like I sort of looked up mine. It's it's a really English surname, but it basically means of the hill. So it's sort of like a hill tribe name, I suppose. But all of those really old English names, yeah, they do sort of come from that time so it's interesting stuff but the english bigfoot was always going to be more gentlemanly he probably rides like a penny farthing bike and has a pipe and stuff like that drinks earl gray and everything you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cucumber sandwiches yeah (laughs) crumpets yeah (laughs) and it forces labor from the lesser known woodland creatures yeah 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 yeah. what But it yeah. is funny that like those names as well, as as Rob was saying, like my name is a it's an Irish name, O'Neill. And we again covered an episode the Milishannon, was that it, Rob? So I, I can control the Banshee apparently oh, the, it would be the, a, a popular Irish cryptid. The Malaysians, yeah. There's a the lot Malaysians, of interest. That was it, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff with Spanish and Portuguese blending with the Irish. And recently actually I was doing some notes for an episode and I came across that apparently ancient Egyptians got to Ireland like 
back in the day, which is obviously, you know, really unusual because it's so far away from Ireland. But they reckon, yeah, that ancient Egyptians might have come to Ireland. So then I suppose that really changes everything in terms of culture. And, you know, because we have stone forts in Ireland. Newgrange is one of the famous ones. And it has a lot of the attributes that the pyramids have. So it has the same thing where it lines up yeah. with the sun at a certain time of the year and all all this type of stuff. So then you're wondering, okay, well, we all had these same things at the same time, roughly, where all these different cultures had similar things happening. So then you wonder, well, did the Egyptians maybe get further than we initially thought? And I mean, at least in terms of Ireland, it does seem like that they got here, which is, uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, You're getting into that kind of Graham Hancock yeah. region yeah. there where you're starting to like, is, is the the whole all the history we know they're turning it upside down and and really interrogating it but it is interesting and it almost links in with a lot of that you know they talk about let's say evolutionary milestones where as one group of animals begin to use tools in a certain continent the same happens on a different continent you know and it's sort of they keep in line with each other and run on the spot and keep up so i wonder yeah could it have been as you said rob maybe we did have some sort of egyptian influence or because it, it's very difficult to understand how people back then would have been able to create these things. I mean, I guess there wasn't a whole lot else to be doing, but... Well, that, you're right. People underestimate how much power you have when you don't have television. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you if you were an Egyptian guy and you showed up back then on a boat and you were like, what's up, guys? Everyone would be just so enamored with you. You'd be like, what the fuck? And this guy could basically just make up whatever he likes. And yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, I come from this land far away. And, you know, maybe he cuts out parts of the religion that he doesn't like. And he said, no, this is what we believe in, actually. And then you have this bunch of followers in Ireland that love you. So that could have happened, too. There's, a, there's all this type of stuff that could have happened back then. Very interesting. So they would have brought Egyptian beer and you guys would have provided them with whiskey. And yeah, the, the technological exchange. Is that how that works? They're the reason our, yeah. our culture <laughs> is so bad. So, no. <laughs> I, I have to say... I, you know, we're a skeptical show. So I, I, I've always been really skeptical of Graham Hancock's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sam. Sam. I think they call him a hyperdiffusionist, like the idea that there was some culture that spread. I'm more inclined to think, and theoretically I'm writing a book about this, but God knows it's not coming out, but the technology sort of evolves along the same paths. As people discover things, you'll tend to find the same thing. Like the saw evolved in multiple cultures, uh, was developed in multiple cultures, but it's different. Like the blades go a different way in, in Japan than the rest of the world. But that whole thing about if you're going to build a fort, a mud fort or a clay fort or a stone fort or any kind of building, you end up with something pyramidical, which is probably not a real word that I just made up. <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a nice word. We'll roll with it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if you try to build a sandcastle, if you don't make it smaller at each layer, it falls apart. And this, you know, you end up with something kind of like a pyramid across every culture because until you get, you know, metallurgy and interlocking wood and all kinds of other stone cutting sort of techniques you, you can't do anything but stack it you know i agree but i i would say the interesting thing about the passage tombs and the say pyramids is this ability that they have to line up with certain events in the stars which mm-hmm. yeah like we were saying about sort of in a way it's kind of convergent uh evolution i suppose right where we're all coming towards it i think that's the right term for it but it is it is basically it's kind of weird how specifically ireland had it the pyramids had it and Newgrange they reckon is actually older than the pyramids so it, it lines up with that I think it's the is it the solstice or it's something the like solstice that? yeah so the, the idea of Newgrange is um 
it's sort of a structure that was created out of out of earth and rocks, let's say. But it was where sort of people who would have been held in high regard, so you know, leaders and stuff like that would have been buried. And then on the twenty first of December, whatever way the sun lines up, they created a sort of a a portal, if you like. So the sun, as it lines up just that one day a year, potentially the equinox as well, I'm not sure, but it shines a light that goes the whole way into this structure and sort of illuminates the burial chamber, if you like. Now, interestingly as well, if in that burial chamber, if you look up, they have gotten these sort of thin, long rocks and they've put them in a way that basically kind of spirals upwards. And again, I, look, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not a builder or anything or a contractor myself, but uh, on a tour that I did there years ago, they were explaining that like builders nowadays, you know, they were saying wouldn't be able to create this as perfectly as they did back then. And again, it gets, look, it's just, that's probably romanticizing. You know. <laughs> yeah, but that's not very nice to the contractors. They do the best they can. I mean, they've built some really good stuff, you know, the, that opera house you guys have over in Sydney is pretty, you know, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I would point out that I will put a link in the show notes. I, I've seen a really cool 3d model of Newgrange that was done where you can like kind of walk through the whole site and look and see where the sunbeam would come in and all that stuff it's yeah. very very cool yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah it's really impressive you actually if you want now look i don't know what way it is with the world sort of on having pressed the giant pause button on life for the last year and a half but when you do the tour they actually have like a reconstruction of the light so you can see what it would be like and also people book way, way, way in advance to, to go and experience. I think there's something like a 10 year waiting list or something like that to actually get in and see it on the day. Yeah. So it's very impressive when you're inside there, you know. So some one of those places where you're just hit with the kind of I found it in some places in when I visited Japan where I, I was just hit with the sort of enormity of what was around me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although is it is interesting to imagine like if do you guys are you gamers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big so just yeah. imagine. So what Newgrange is in a lot of ways is kind of a, a looted dungeon. Like there's nothing in there anymore, but you, you can still squeeze some gold out of it if you try. <laughs> it is very much. It is. It's like something out of Diablo or something there for sure. Yeah, yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Chinwag Pod and Wagon.
In fact, that's probably a really good idea is like start putting like Pokemon Go for Newgrange where you could collect <laughs> treasure and fight guys with axes or whatever. Actually, yeah, there, here's a Viking That's actually bangle. a genius idea. Actually, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, that on here. That's Someone will do that, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you guys have mentioned uh, Banshees and, and Changelings. We should probably talk a little bit about some of these uh, oh, yeah, yeah, legendary yeah. creatures and and so I know Blake has had a, a particular interest in changelings, and uh, I don't know are they actually an Irish legend, it, or is it? Yeah, it's not. It's not just Irish. My understanding is that it's kind of found throughout general folk tales in Europe. But it is. It's a really interesting one because, as we've said before, a lot of these folkloric tales and stuff they're kind of warning you of something that sort of does exist in one way or another. Like we had one about the Tick Balang like he'd guard apple trees and we kind of tried to hash it out between us and we kind of went well it's probably because kids climb up to get apples fall down and break themselves up and then you know they they can't really put them back together properly so it's stuff like that but whereas this the fear is of an exact replica which is really bizarre like i was trying to get under the hood of it and go well are they is it a warning that you know people's sort of moods can change their intentions can change stuff like that but Mm -hmm. In Irish culture in in particular, it's basically that a changeling is believed to be a fairy that has been left in place of a human. So they basically, the fairies come in and they steal this human and leave an exact replica. And there's a modern Irish girl's name, Sifra, which means like an elvish or a changeling child. It comes from, I think, Siovra, which means fairies, and Sea, so the Banshee, that S-I Fada, that Sea is a Sea for a, that sort of links in with the Fae, with the High Strangeness. Mm. So yeah, it's, and then anglicised as Shivra, but it's a very weird one, and I don't know, well, I do know, yeah, we were talking about Bridget Cleary, and... Um, is that is that the uh, the one where the guy accuses his wife of being a changeling and then murders her? Yeah, so this is... And yeah, that's a brutal story, yeah. It's so scary yeah and it again what was it himself and nine other people were sort of charged with the murder um of his wife but yeah he basically said that his wife had you know was was an exact replica and even currently you get that i can't remember why it's not capgras i can't remember what the syndrome is are you sure because that sounds right there's a syndrome i think it is capgras where you basically you lose the emotional context like of meeting people in your family so suddenly they look right but they don't feel right and that drives people to believe that these people are replicas and in, in, in replaced and i'm almost positive that's right it does it's uh, it's the first one it's coming out of this murky ether i have for a brain so maybe <laughs> maybe i got lucky for a change it is really funny because what you imagine is obviously we've come a very long way in sort of identifying various mental illness or, or mental sort of dis-ease and stuff like that with people so you would imagine that stuff like this probably did exist way back, but we, we just didn't really have a good understanding. And our, I mean, or you probably know yourselves that back in medieval times, sort of any suicides and things like that would have been thought to be the devil's work and any mm. murder. And it was all very much like, you know, there was an, another worldly entity that was forcing you to do these things. But yeah, even nowadays, because there was a case even recently in the last maybe 30 years where, and I think I saw this on, on, I think it was in the Lore podcast, where a guy was out running with his, his wife and he was sort of just suddenly consumed with this thing and w- it wound up leading to, like, a, had a tragic end or whatever. It's just that feeling that the image is right, but what's inside isn't. It's funny as well, because I believe 
someone asked Stephen King years ago about like how he would describe terror or horror or what it is he's trying to elicit in a reader. And uh, he said, true fear, true terror, and I'm paraphrasing here, is like you basically everything you own has been replaced with exact replicas, like everything in your house, which is a terrifying and such a paranoid concept, you know? Yeah, I think we've discussed... I was going to say, I'd make sure the, the replicas aren't somehow an improvement first before I gave up on them. They're just like your family, but they clean up after themselves. <laughs> no! Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if uh, Wish.com is anything to go by, replicas are never as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've discussed this in the context of uh, talking about possible historical explanations and folklore uh, to, to explain autism mm. and people yeah, who have a spectrum sure. and how a child within a couple of years can go from smiling and happy and laughing to to suddenly seem as though their personality has been taken away and mm. like the child's been replaced with an exact replica that's lost um, its personality. And it, apparently this it, it's not just the young, it's also the elderly. So it may also be a way of dealing folklorically with dementia and Alzheimer's right. and that sort of right. thing. That makes sense. Yes. So. Yeah. And Roland Dahl, do you guys know that case? You know the case of Roland Dahl, the, the exorcism and all that type of stuff? It seemed like he kind of had something similar where, you know, it was probably some sort of either, there was one of two things. He was either... You're talking about the true case behind the exorcist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. either like he was a piss taker, he was having a laugh, or he did have something that was sort of more, uh, yeah, traditionally explainable, but sort of... Uh, brushed off as paranormal i suppose yeah and then when you put that through the prism i think of religion you know you'll like you'll sort of manifest whatever it is that you're you're suffering from through the lens of whatever it is that's put on top of it and i mean i am curious sometimes you know in terms of our sort of medicalized uh an awful lot of of mental illnesses and there are school there's like a school of people that kind of say that may not be the best thing to do all the time. Like it's sort of maybe we, we're trying to avoid feelings that would have benefit to work through in different ways. And our society, I think, makes that very difficult. So it is funny because we're at this point and you kind of have that assumption that, you know, not that we know everything, but we're like, oh, we got a pretty good idea. And I always I'm always curious about looking back in time like these people with changelings, you know, if you had to say, oh, no, we'll have a pill for that in like 100 years, they'd be like, what? Sure, she's 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 a fairy. What are you talking about? You know, so it's really interesting to just to see, you know, where we are, where we're going, the different theories that because there's so much. That's the one thing that the Internet, I think, has taught us all is that you can find a theory for everything very easily. And, uh, you know, they're not always written by people who should be sharing theories, but it's very interesting to see the the vast perspectives from people who you know, I, I suppose you would consider to be quite educated on a certain topic. Um, I bet it was almost easier back then when you were just like, yeah, that's a fairy and it's a bad thing yeah. because there was no other real discussion around it, no other understanding around it. Yeah, I guess. Do you just go, well, it's a replacement. I'll deal with it. Or if it extends to, I think we should murder it or leave it out in the woods and see if we can get a swap back or, you know, whatever. Mm. It, I guess it's the outcome that somehow may be important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, you're you're totally. It, it is funny as well, even when you think about those outcomes, because that idea. I think the idea is like if you put a changeling in a fire, it would jump up the chimney, and then you'd get back the human child. And there was something about putting it on a shovel because, and again with garlic and iron, I think these are things that can help reduce the spread of disease. And they seem to find themselves in lots of these folkloric tales. 
But what is interesting, so it's the sort of idea of this is, you know, like as you're saying, kill the changeling or whatever. And then at the same time, there's a big superstition in Ireland around fairy rings and fairy mounds, which are like tufts of flowers. And very recently, like people will, they will not put a lawnmower over them. And we have the Healy Rays who are elected members of our political system who will say things like, you know, that there was a man now and he put a lawnmower over a fairy tuft and he was never right afterwards. And they will say this in our public speaking house, you know. So it is funny that like you would have people who are they're sort of willing to kill the changeling, but the same logic, the same superstition, if you were building a road, would force you to move around a fairy tuft because to it's a it's an immensely dangerous thing to actually, you know, to build over it or to or to get rid of it. That's interesting. So in Ireland, a fairy tuft is a, a ring of flowers? Kind of, yeah. We have a, There's yeah, two or three, yeah. right? Yeah, and you might even see them sort of by mistake almost. And it's basically, um, it's just rings or arcs. Of uh, stones sometimes as well. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it is, it's a pile of rocks. Sometimes it's, yeah, like Eamon is saying, a sort of a, a ring of flowers. And sometimes it can be just a ring of flowers around that type of rock structure, I suppose. But mm. uh, What about, do, do you also call a ring of mushrooms a fairy ring? or is that Yeah, different? yeah, we'd have yeah. a ring of fungus. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I mean, mostly what you'd see is, is either mushrooms or flowers just because, you know, you don't really get cool stuff growing here that often, you know, so so it's really just those two. Yeah, and it's funny as well. They're they're thought to be kind of these hazardous places, and mm-hmm. you get that a lot with the sort of Islamic jinn as well, caves and wild places that you're told to stay away from. And we have another thing about single trees and fields. the The devil's tree, like a tree by itself in a field, it's it's meant to be something a bit odd about it. There's a devil. Well, it does look a bit odd. Well, it's a, the tr- you know the trees out there making a bold statement. You know he's confident. <laughs> true, he's, yeah. uh, he's out in that field showing <laughs> off his leaves and everything. So there's something strange about that tree. I do agree with you. Maybe it is a Wexford thing. Yeah, for sure. Because that's be, our yeah. town. Yeah, that's where we're from. So it's the opposite of a grove. But groves are often fairy places too. So if you have one tree, it's the devil, and if you have a bunch of trees, it's a fairy grove. This is. Hardly fair. You can't escape it. What <laughs> hardly fairy? Hardly fairy. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is it. I mean, they're linked with witches and devils, but then sometimes they're linked with good fortune. You know, uh, and then oh, sometimes you have leprechauns can appear sort of later in the folklore. You might have a little leprechaun there sitting under a rainbow with a pot of gold. Like he doesn't buy things. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Why does he have money? What's going on here? The banshee can be kind of good and bad as well because. <laughs> They reckon a lot of the sort of banshee idea comes from originally it, it was a woman that would sort of be either hired or, you know, just as a favor to a family would show up at a funeral and wail and basically cry. And mm-hmm. so it was viewed as kind of an important thing, I suppose, to have this uh, to sort of bring on the grieving process. But then obviously, as time has gone on, the banshee has become sort of a specter. You know, the sort as as a matter of fact, the banshee is probably what I would say is the most prominent folkloric creature in Ireland. I'd say maybe more so than even my well, leprechauns and banshees. But you know, growing up, the banshee was sort of the bogeyman, the boogeyman for us. Yeah. Was, it was kind of oh, watch out for the banshee. The banshee will get you. What do you What do you say to a, a banshee who's done a good job? Oh, I don't know. Well done, well done. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Dad. So, is there any 
belief at all in banshees and leprechauns and fairies in Ireland today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amongst the older generations of Irish, wow. absolutely. Like my granny, for example, would be very superstitious. I'm quite fortunate enough to have all my grandparents still. And yeah, they would be a lot more superstitious than even like my granny will come up with these. Like she suffers with styes on her eye. And she said like that this woman, <laughs> I don't know what the hell this is, but it's like she said this woman showed up at her door and my granny got talking to her, whatever. And they mentioned about the eye and, and this woman said, oh, I'll sort that out for you. I'll, and she went up and like, I can't remember the internet, but she either rubbed something off some type of tree or she left something under a tree for 30 days. I think that was it, actually. It was something like that where she had buried something or something. And then she came back to me, Granny, and she said, oh, rub this on your eye or whatever. And then me, Granny, it was, oh, it cured me eye. And, you know, there was also other factors to why it would have happened that were way more easily explainable. One being that my granny had a dog at the time. The dog actually went after. So that's why she probably stopped getting styes. It was probably an allergic reaction. But she believes in superstition like that. I actually mentioned it on our podcast recently where she went to Jerusalem uh, recently. Well, not recently, but about 20 years ago. And she believes like that her whole fortune changed after being there. So I think there's a level of superstition amongst the Irish older generations. And I, I think right. that's been passed down in a lot of Irish, even even abroad, probably in America, I'd say a lot of the American Irish would have a little bit more of that superstition that they can maybe identify with. Maybe their parents or their grandparents talked about the stuff that went on in Ireland and it kind of becomes mystified, I suppose, as time goes on, you know? I could tell you, when I went to New York a few years ago, I met a very short Irishman on the street and he was doing card tricks, and eventually he took all my gold, and it turned out he was a leprechaun artist. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, there, there, there is a sort of um, magical undertones in Ireland, I think, a little bit. And if we don't necessarily believe it, we'll have fun with it. And I think that's the fun of cryptozoology in general. We often talk about it as well that for us, Growing up, cryptids, and we would have been more exposed to American cryptids, actually, first. Yeah. Those, to us, are almost like Marvel superheroes, you know? Mm. They give you that same sense of uh, wonder, and you're like, oh, wow. You know, the first time I heard about even, say, Michele and Bembe, the dinosaur in the Congo, uh, as a Jurassic Park diehard fan, obviously, I wanted to hear more about this cryptid. It was it was really interesting for me to explore. And same thing with Bigfoot, the first time I seen Patterson Gimlin as a kid. I was like, you know, you, you become enamored with it and, it and it's this thing where it's fun. And and regardless of whether it's true or whether it's false and, and you guys actually approach cryptozoology very similar to how we do. We don't, you know, we're not hook, line and sinker with it by any means. But regardless, nonetheless, it's still fun to entertain, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. great to talk about and there's so much fun and there's a lot to learn from just even studying cryptozoology, I suppose you could say, you know. Did you guys see Baby Secret of the Lost Legend? No. Oh, that's that's the best documentary about McKinley Bay. Is it? Oh, I have <laughs> well, to. it's not really a documentary. It's, it's just a fictional film, but it, it's really good. I, I, if you like cryptozoology and you want a movie with baby dinosaurs, it's, it's very 80s. It's uh, distributed by Disney. Uh, 
It's got uh, William Cat as sort of a cryptozoologist and Patrick McGowan as an evil cryptozoologist. It's good. Oh, it's I, I'm so always an it's evil okay. It's not good. It's terrible, but I love it. Okay. Yeah, it's all about its gold type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Well, we should probably be winding up soon. We've got a, a final question, but I've got a question, if I may, from mm-hmm. my husband. Lovely. And he is wondering if you guys, because you're Irish and mm. you're into monsters, have you ever heard of the Beast of Craggy Island? Yes, yes, we have heard of it. Yeah, that's that's the real recognized real fair play to your husband oh, you, you can't listen, you can't not be a father ted fan in ireland mm. like it was at the time you know myself and Eamon grew up in the 90s and it was still very much a thing where priests were you know everywhere that you were dealing with them all the time and mm. so father ted kind of gave a comical outlook on you the, maybe you know a lot of priests were bereft of uh, humor at the time, so yeah, yeah. It, it was nice to watch Father Ted and at least imagine this type of stuff happening, you know, between these priests. Uh, yeah. yeah, great, great show, fantastic. No, yeah, totally, was, yeah, and it's, it's like even mm-hmm. yeah, it's fun. It's it's, it's a hilarious show, um, but it is funny talking about the older generations and stuff. Exactly the same thing. Like I remember my nanny was just mouting off about Father Ted for years. <laughs> you know, she she couldn't stand it. But again, a lot of the older generation, the, the superstition and a very, very, very strong collection to the Catholic Church, which yeah. now is sort of uh, has been coming undone for the last couple of decades. But yeah, similar kind of stuff there. It's actually funny. I have one story that happened during the week. It's not spooky and it's totally explainable, but it was funny when we talk about like weird things happening and, and uh, synchronicities stuff that people come up a lot when they're into this high strangeness, right? So mm-hmm. you guys had Timothy Renner on the podcast. Yeah, we had Kutchen and Renner recently. recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. so I, I'm a big fan of his Strange Familiars podcast and I would have listened to it a, a good bit. And he always talks about synchronicities and these little things that pop up as you're, uh, as you're kind of looking at this stuff or opening yourself to it. So I was walking through the town. Rob had, had got on to me earlier, says, oh, that there's a podcast, Monster Talk, that they're asking if we'll pop on. And I was like, oh, great, I'll, I'll take a listen and just, you know, figure out <laughs> figure out what, I'm, what I can and can't say on this thing. And um, <laughs> so that's grand where I was listening to it. And they, he started talking about gifting, you know? So I think he was talking about gifting the Sasquatch, gifting the, the other. And I was just thinking to myself, it was something I used to do as a kind of, you know, I'd put like if I had an apple, I'd leave it in the forest when I left as a kind of a like, all right, I'm cool. We're good. Don't nothing weird. Follow <laughs> me home, please. And just interestingly, I was walking along and I started thinking, I was like, oh, well, what would I like if I had to give a gift? Like, what would be a good gift for the spirit of the forest or whatever? And I was like, you know, opal fruits would be a good one. And opal fruits, I think you guys have starburst. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Candy flavored wax. What's <laughs> yeah, effectively, effectively. And I was just going, oh yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, an opal fruit. And it, it just, and again, my mind's just kind of turning. I'm by the key, walking home. I was like, oh yeah, so yeah, which one? I said like, well, you know, you get like the, the green one probably in keeping with nature. And I just turned to my left as I was thinking this, and there was a green starburst wrapped perfectly right on the threshold <laughs> to an old building, and I was just. And I, I was just kind of like, man, what are the chances? Like, this is so because only for me and Rob started the podcast, which we wouldn't have done if there wasn't a pandemic. And there hadn't been a different podcast before. So we managed to get a bit of traction 
from using our connection there. And, and I was just like, like how many things had to happen for this to happen? And obviously confirmation bias and the rest of it. But I, I thought it was a funny story because uh, Timothy Renner is so into that synchronicity and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I tell you, it can drive you crazy. Because I have so many strange coincidences, and I'm also plugged into the world of synchromysticism, even though I don't believe in it. And it's like, I can see the appeal. It would be wonderful if these wacky coincidences meant something. I I really think it would be awesome. I don't think they do, but, but I can, man, I can feel that tug. The glitch yeah, in the matrix, yeah. There's actually a documentary. We're I don't humans. know if you guys have seen it. Yeah, there's a documentary now called A Glitch in the Matrix, I believe. And it's literally about all of that type of stuff, you know, like a simulation theory, but also all these weird coincidences that you may witness and stuff like that. But it's yeah, it's a very fascinating topic. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny because the more, because I got into this thing where I, I decided I was going to try some guy with an English and history degree who's going to figure out quantum theory. Nice one, Eamon. Good, good stuff. That must have been a good Tuesday. But uh, so I was, I was trying to like read all this stuff and I just get nowhere. Like I, I but it, it is funny because you start to listen to people talk about the quantum and it seems like you can just make it be anything. You know, like one guy's like, oh, yeah, the secret. Just imagine yourself in a big house and you'll get a bit. It's like the McDonald's of spirituality. Then you have, you know, your Deepak Chopras and these other guys. And then you have the actual scientists who are like, don't listen to that. That's mental. <laughs> so it's really like, you know, and you just kind of think to yourself and you're like, well, I mean, they talk about, it, you know, the observer and the observed and, and all this sort of stuff. But you're totally right, Blake. Like you could legitimately and sort of with some logic behind it drive yourself crazy i've seen it yeah i've seen it plenty of times (laughs) (laughs) it seems to be something that when people go paranoid schizophrenic sometimes that they do start to see a lot of similarities like they'll they'll start noticing say white cars and they'll say oh there's uh, just white cars following me every white car they see it goes into their bias. Yep, there's another there's another white car. They're just following me everywhere. When, you know, the actual reality is there's lots of white cars out there. So, yeah, but it can drive you absolutely insane for yeah, sure if yeah. you start thinking that way, I think. Yeah, it, it mm. is a dangerous path, I think. And I think there's m- certain kinds of minds that are better at pattern matching, but not yeah, always yes, educated yes. on the insignificance of such patterns. I, and I mean, and sometimes the patterns do mean something. That's the other thing. It's like, that's true. Some people mm-hmm. are being followed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real, real science. Yeah. Those white cars are police, man, and you just run right. shop. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, maybe. <laughs> that adds up, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, guys, this has been a lot of fun talking about all these topics with you, and we've just got one final question, uh, which we like to ask all of our guests, and that is what's your favourite monster? So if you Amen. both have a favourite monster you want to share with us. Yeah, I think, you know, because we, we were talking about this, we were like, we'll tell him something crazy from Wexford, but I think, I think we're going to try to be real <laughs> here. Just to, I think my favorite is probably the Mothman. I just love how sort of it's almost Lovecraftian. Well, it's like a flying moth rather than a big octopus type thing. But it's uh, just the fact that it like the, the reports of it getting in your head and all the crazy stuff that happened in Point Pleasant around uh around the time of the Silver Bridge collapse. I And the fact that they've made sort of a tourism industry out of it up there as well. I think, yeah, I think the Mothman is just a really interesting character. And as a Batman fan, I think he was, he was, he was sort of named after Batman yeah, was gone. Batman so that's called him Mothman. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah yep. 66, that's right. So, um, yeah, I, I really like the lore behind that. And to be fair, Mothman Prophecies is probably one of the better cryptid 
based movies or at least one of the more serious scripted based movies so yeah no i I think that the mothman is probably my my favorite and I, even all that lore about then what there was an indian chief and a curse and all this sort of stuff it's just the gift that keeps on giving it's, it's, it's so rich <laughs> and the, another coincidence yeah. i was just discussing the mothman with my husband before this show so oh, you guys were probably in starburst too green ones yeah <laughs> yeah. uh, mine is uh yeah mine's Michele Membe I kind of s- spoiled that earlier I suppose but <laughs> it was uh I-, I was a Jurassic Park kid and as I got older and I started to hear about cryptozoology and I heard that well there's dinosaurs in the Congo that for me was the best you know because I'm still waiting for Jurassic Park to happen so uh it, it was nice it's a nice story I, I like Michele Membe the Robin is a cool one. The the sort of pterodactyl creature from Papua New Guinea yeah. is kind of a cool one too. I really like him. So yeah, any of the dinosaur cryptids, I I would go with for sure. Nice. nice. Mm-hmm. And and they're probably the ones who are most likely to exist if anything does. You know, yeah. the old one, the real really, prehistoric yeah. monsters. Well, yeah, you know, you can always look outside and see dinosaurs today. True. They're just true. birds. What? Yep. <laughs> That's true. Science That's true. disappointing us forever. What? Yeah. <laughs> look at this raptor. It's so cool. It's like birds are adorable unless you're like insect sized, then they're terrifying. So, oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about yeah. scale. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So, we'll put a link in the show notes to your podcast. Is there anything else you want us to link out to or where people can find you? Uh, yeah, it's it's monsterfuls everywhere, um, and and on some socials, it's monsterfuls podcast. And and I just like to say as well, thanks for having us on, guys. Uh, it was a uh, it was a, a real fun time. Yeah, it's a good chat. Yeah, good chat. For joining us. I wish I had a little more whiskey, but hey, you know, <laughs> next time we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do, do we'll, 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 we'll next time. Always do a crossover again. All right. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, thanks, guys. guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. Monster talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard an interview with Eamon O'Neill and Rob Billington of the Monster Fuzz podcast. I've put a lot of links in the show notes if you'd like to dig deeper on these topics. And remember, Monster Talk also has a YouTube channel. You can find that at youtube.com forward slash monster talk, where you'll find live episodes, our special series based on a true story, which is all about the facts behind famous movies, And content from Karen's husband, Matthew Baxter, who produces a series called Ask a Paranormal Investigator. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening to our show. 
This has been a Monster House presentation.